0: Well, hey, greetings this Lord's Day, this Palm Sunday, this very strange Palm Sunday in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus is Lord today, right? He's Lord today, just like He's always been. Uh, and today we willingly bow our knees to Him and we recognize and rejoice over His Lordship, longing to see Him rule over our every action and over the whole earth. Um, I keep saying this, and I'm not going to stop saying it, but people are always saying now, in these uncertain times. Folks, I think we should remember that at all times that every man have ever lived in are uncertain times. We don't know what's going to happen, but men seem to think that they know what is going to happen. And here we are uh, today. uh, It's Palm Sunday. Never in my life would I ever imagine that Palm Sunday and the weeks before it and the weeks after and even uh Resurrection Day that we would be not gathering at church. never has ever this ever happened in the history of the world. Uh, I guess the Pope is at uh, the in the Vatican at the church and no one's there. Uh, wow, you know I mean normally when he shows up there's a hundred thousand people um, but today as his children, on the day that Jesus made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, we can cry out, they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So why don't you try that with me? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Oh, Hosanna, our, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Behold, our king is here in our midst today. And if we don't cry out his praises, whether it's on the internet or over our phones or in some way the very rocks will cry out according to god's word and our call to worship today from psalm 8 david said this uh, that praise springs forth from all of us even from the very least of these our children uh sing the praises of god our call to worship is from psalm 8 oh lord our lord how excellent is thy name in all the earth who have set thy glory above the heavens Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider the heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands, and thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, the beast, the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. Say it with me if you know it. O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful, Lord. We are so thankful that you love us, Lord that we are remembering your coming into the world, and today especially the day that you came into Jerusalem on that day that we all celebrate and we call Palm Sunday, that day we we gather together now, Lord, thanking you, Lord, for becoming king of the earth, for dethroning man in his sinful ways and his injustice, and for putting yourself, the just king, on the throne. Lord, we know today as we gather that you are in our midst. Whether we are in person or sitting in cars, or whether we're uh, online or on the phone, we know you are transcending all of uh, space and time, and you are with us. We are gathered in your name, and we are here, and we know you are in our midst. You have filled us with your Holy Spirit. You haven't just forgiven us of our sins, but you've made us sons. You've and daughters, Lord, and you've filled us with your Holy Spirit. You've made us joint heirs uh, with you in all of the glorious things that you're doing in the earth. We are your subjects. We pray today that you would speak to us, that you would change us by your words, and that you would sanctify us, and you would make us holy. Uh, as you have declared that we are, Lord, let our lives shine as lights in the world that men may see Our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, today is Palm Sunday. And um, my text uh, is right actually from this same, it's, it's a very short text. And my sermon today is called, Here Comes Your King, He Comes Lowly. My sermon text is from John chapter 12, just verses 12 and 13. On the next day, much people that were coming to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we long to hear your voice. We long for you to speak to us. Lord, that we would hear you. Uh, and that we would be changed by your words. Lord, may you indeed come in our lives as king of every action, king of every sphere of our world. May there be nothing in the realm of our lives that is not ruled by you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus was on the famed uh, road from Jericho to Jerusalem walking up To meet his destiny and his death this was the same 15 mile stretch of road that the good samaritan stopped on to help the injured traveler and it was a road that jesus spent a great deal of time on throughout his life actually nathaniel and benjamin and myself we have traveled this same road from jericho to jerusalem and honestly it is amazing uh It is made, I believe, as a picture of what God does. Jericho is very low down near the Dead Sea in the desert. And as you go uh, to the west from there all the way to Jerusalem, uh, it goes up, 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 up from this desert area, this area that has hardly nothing growing. And as soon as you get on the outskirts of Jerusalem, at the Mount of Olives, uh, everything turns green. And uh, you go up, and the, the high place of this part of the world is uh, Mount Zion, which is on the other side of the Mount of Olives. These are not mountains like you picture, maybe like Rocky Mountains. Uh, they really are just these very, very long, very, uh, very prominent hills, really, is kind of what they look like. But of course, Jesus, like the good Samaritan of his parable, he often stopped along the way in this road to heal the sick and even to raise the dead. This road, which represented the growth and conquest of a nation blessed by God, crossing the Jordan into the promised land, they were a ragtag band of slaves. They first came to Jericho and conquered it, but it was not until many years later, in many hard fought battles, that their promises came true in Jerusalem when uh, the man known for the city, David, uh, built his palace there and established uh, a more permanent place for the tabernacle of God before, of course, the temple was built. Their king who showed them glimpses of the king of kings in this city, the city of David, of course, we know, honestly, it is the city of Christ himself. Now, it was on this road which he ascended up almost into the cloud for miles as it appeared, as it approached uh, the Mount of Olives, the golden city of God. He had stopped on another trip of this same kind. You'll find more than once throughout his life, Jesus traveled this road. He traveled from Jericho to Jerusalem. He did this more than once. And the last time he had done this, he had stopped at the home of his close friends, Mary and Martha. And he had messengers coming and telling him about his friend Lazarus, who was sick. And then, of course, we know Lazarus died. And by the time Jesus arrived there, uh, he was already dead. And he had been dead for several days. And we know what he did, though. We know he rose Lazarus from the dead. But before he started his last journey on this road toward Jerusalem, he visited uh, the home of Zacchaeus, as we heard in our readings. He, Zacchaeus was in Jericho. There, Jesus was uh, visiting the house of this wee little rich man we like to sing the song about, who repented of his sins and was glad that salvation had come to his house. As he left Jericho, the large crowd following him, Jesus stopped, and he heard the plaintive wail of the blind man, the blind man we all know. Uh, Most of us know the story of Bartimaeus. He cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, be quiet. You need to be quiet. You need to leave the teacher alone. And scriptures tell us that he cried even louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus called him over and and when, the, when he came and uh, he saw the man and he says, what do you want? What do you need? And normally the man, there was one thing that he wanted. He was a beggar. He was blind and he wanted money. When he called people over, it's kind of like reminds me of the story of Acts chapter three, where the man who sat at the gate beautiful, and he cried and he asked alms of Peter and John. Do you remember what Peter and John said? Peter and John said, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And we know he went leaping and walking and praising God. Well, Jesus walks over to this man and he says, what do you, what do you want? And he said, I want to be able to see. And a couple things happened. Not only did the man's uh, vision come back to him, but he threw off his coat. It's kind of an amazing picture of what is going to happen later as people are throwing off their coats. But there's something different that was going on here with Bartimaeus. Um, the Romans at this time, they were very orderly and had a lot of rules and laws. And in order to be a beggar at the time uh, of Christ, you had to be licensed to be a beggar. You couldn't just pretend. You know how people today, you they hold up signs that, uh, you know, Freeway exits and different places, and they want money. Well, if you were a Roman uh, citizen and you wanted to beg and you could say, Hey, look, I'm a blind guy, you know, I'm a guy who's paralyzed, they would literally give you a license, and their license was a special coat. And so Bartimaeus was wearing this beggar's coat. And so that's why Mark, who is a Roman in his gospel, focuses on uh, what the Romans would think. He includes this detail that's not included in Luke. It's not included in Matthew or uh, or even John. But it says in Mark ten fifty that he not only received his sight, but he cast off his coat. I kind of like it. He was not a beggar now, and he could see. At the end of the road, he stopped. After doing this great miracle, he stopped once again at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and this time Lazarus wasn't in the tomb, he was at the house. People had been hearing everywhere about what had happened the last time he was in this little town. uh, Once again, my sons and I uh, went to this little town. You know, this whole area is kind of remarkable in that, you know, when, 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 When the land is flat, like I'm sitting in my house and I'm looking out my window right now, I can see about 100 yards. Uh, When the land is flat, you can only see so far. I mean, in the distance, maybe I can see a tree line, but but Jerusalem isn't like this. And even this place, you know, when you hear about the story about Jesus stopping at the home and he stops, you know, in this little town on the, you know, it's actually on the Mount of Olives. But when you're on it, you can see Everywhere you because when you're up there, you can look down over to the right, over the left. You can look down to the Garden of Gethsemane, you can look up to Jerusalem, you can look all around. All of these places are you can see them. If you are in Jerusalem, you can see the Mount of Olives and see everything on it. If you're on the Mount of Olives, you can see everything in Jerusalem. And so, so there is a visual aspect of what's going on here in this story that you you can't appreciate unless you actually see this. So as Jesus stopped at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, he literally was just looking over and he could see the he could see the hill go down, he could see it go up and he was looking at Jerusalem. He was looking at the walls of the temple even from this house. John chapter 12 tells us that 6 days before the Passover Jesus came to Bethany and that is when he had risen him from the dead so it it wasn't it wasn't long you know uh it, it had only been a week and everyone had heard about it and so now jesus is coming back dusty dirty feet thirsty perhaps not smelling like the halls of a royal palace john says that they gave him a dinner there mary was there martha was serving and Lazarus was reclining with him at the table there in view of Jerusalem. Mary took a pound of her expensive ointment. You, you know this story. She uh, It was made of nard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the house, it tells us, was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This had happened once before. At another house, but this wasn't the house of a friend. It was at the home of a hypocrite, a Pharisee, and now it was happening again in the house of his friends. But yet, for all the royal treatment that Mary gave him that day, we know that the scripture tells us that he would be wounded in the house of his friends, there among the people that should have been receiving him. Judas Iscariot was there. He was watching this scene unfold. He had seen it before. I think he was probably just as irritated the first time, even though he didn't say anything about it, but he's irritated now. And he says, why is this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And the writer gives us insight telling us it wasn't because he cared about the poor that he said this because he was a thief and he had the charge of the money bag and he used to help himself to it. Jesus said, leave her alone. So that she may keep it, she may do this for the day of my burial. For the poor, you always have with you, but but not always me. They couldn't know, you know. It's kind of like um, like us. Three weeks ago, I mean, four weeks ago, I remember all the people showing up at our home, and we're thinking we're getting on a plane and we're going to leave the country, and we don't. People coming even after that, and and showing up. Uh, for the sons of saint patrick and and we're going to dance and we're going to celebrate and well we didn't do that and we didn't even go to church and guests that we thought were coming weren't there it's amazing to me how circumstances like this remind us of the uncertainty that is always before us jesus has reminded us in his word that we're not to say tomorrow we're going to do this and tomorrow we're going to do that he says but what we should say is god if god wills we will do this. I think I think maybe after this, it won't be so hard to remember to do that rather than just going, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm going here, I'm going there. No, I think maybe in our vocabulary from this day, we'll say, hey, if the Lord wills, we'll be meeting in church again in a few weeks. Or if the Lord wills, I'll be back to work. Or if the Lord wills, I'll be going here or going there. But as he walked over the Mount of Olives on his way to this house where he would later ascend into heaven and his disciples looked on where he would one day as as Zechariah had prophesied the Messiah will come back and this time he will split the entire mountain from east to west when he steps down on it. He no doubt knew of the many tombs of the beloved prophets that were buried there. And as he did with Lazarus, he could have, called out, come forth, and they could have even come out and prophesied again, but it wasn't to be. Jesus would have, no doubt, recalled the words, though, of Zechariah's prophecy that he was on the verge of fulfilling. He's standing there on the Mount of Olives. He's in this town. All of these things are happening. He's being anointed uh, for his burial. Zechariah 9, as was read for us in our Old Testament reading, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey, upon the colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the horse of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea, even to sea, even from the river to the ends of it. As for thee also, by the blood of the covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein there is no water. Now, when they remembered this, I think there's part of the scripture that they really loved. It was the part that they camped out on. It was the part that they loved to recount. They loved to get together and say, oh, he's going to rule from sea to shining sea. He's going to come and he's going to split the Mount of Olives and he's going to ride and he's going to be the king and this day is coming and our adversaries are going to be put down that's not all it says in the passage it says he's coming lowly everybody say lowly this was the part tucked into the passage of him riding into Jerusalem as king that I think they just wanted not to remember remember Sending down the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends out two of his disciples to go into one of Jerusalem's suburbs. Matthew tells us this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verse 2, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you. Straightway you shall find a donkey. You'll find a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man says unto you, you shall say, the Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold thy king. So we know that this is indeed the fulfillment of it. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey, and his disciples went. And they did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the colt, and they put them, put their clothes on him. And they sat him. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. And others cut down branches from trees. And they strawed them. They strawed them in the way. Now picture this. Picture putting your coat, the one that you're wearing right now, that you brought to church. I know you're in your house. Some of us are wearing sport jackets. I know I am. But imagine throwing it in the road, in the dirt, in the dust. You know, we, we don't live like this, but everyone traveled with animals. And so, you know, it's all over the road. More of the same animal uh, refuse. Thousands of it. Animals crossing that area, dropping it on the ground. It was everywhere. So you've thrown your coat down. And now the man is sitting on a beast and he's going, the animal is going to walk over your coat. What is it? What is that about? The man who sits on the beast, his feet are probably caked with the same dirt. He bears down on your coat. He smashes it into the mud with his animal. You see what they were doing is they were showing him honor kind of like you know, we, there's a picture of this we have in chivalry where a man sees a, a a lady and he doesn't want her to walk in the mud and he takes his coat and he throws it down. He's saying, no, I don't want your feet to get mud on them. They can get on my jacket. I'm not that important. And that's what they were doing. They were honoring him. They were saying, he's king. My coat doesn't matter. Whether it's dirty, it doesn't matter. I'm throwing it down and he's going to walk on it. It was, a, it was something... It was it was a great, great gesture. They had seen, they had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead, they had heard about him healing blind Bartimaeus. they had heard about the paralytic uh in this one place, and this paralytic in another, and this demon-possessed place in another. And he has finally come, and here he is. Hey, look, he's come from the Mount of Olives and He's coming. Hey, this is the fulfillment of the scripture. He's come, he's come. Oh, and they're overwhelmed, and and they start cutting. Branches from the trees and, and putting down on the ground and throwing their coats. My king is coming. My king is coming. Feeding thousands of hungry, touching lepers, healing their leprosy, spitting on the ground, making mud and healing the blind. Everyone in the city had heard firsthand how, and they had many of them had seen it. There were stories coming from all over Israel when he, where he had been, and they had been waiting for their greatest miracle now to come. He wasn't just going to come and heal somebody. He was going to come and be king. He's done this for all the people, but now he's going to do something for me. He's going to take on the Romans like Moses took on the Egyptians. He's going to deliver us from our taskmasters. No more will we be under their thumbs. Soon we'll see their floating carcasses in the, in the sea and we won't be ruled anymore. Our king will rule them. That's 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 really what they were expecting. Verse 9, the multitudes that went before and that followed crying, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, and they were saying, who is this? Because there were other people. They, they don't know who it is, but if you were in Jerusalem and you could look over, you would see, What is going on? People are gathering together and they're all around this one guy. He's riding in on a donkey and they're throwing their coats down from all over Jerusalem. All you would have to do is just look and you would go, What's going on down there? What's going on? It was easy to see. The whole, everyone that lived in Bethpage and everyone that lived on the Mount of Olives, all the people that lived around Jerusalem, all they had to do was just look, man. All they had to do is look. And they're like, What's going on? This crowd is gathering and he's coming toward the gate of Jerusalem. And they're like, Wait a minute this is a lot like that picture from the old testament look he's he's on a donkey he's on hey wait it's it's, it's mother he's on this little colt and and oh wait a minute it's a picture from the book of zechariah <gasps> it's happening and it it caused, caused quite a stir he was come to jerusalem all the city was moved the multitude said ha ah, ha this is jesus He's the great prophet from Nazareth, and he's from Galilee. Here he comes. And in their mind, they're like, wait a minute. I've I've been hearing about him. I've been hearing how he divided the loaves and the fishes, and I've been hearing how he did this and that. Oh, he's coming. They cried Hosanna. They received him as the promised king of prophecy. They were ready to see it all come to pass. Behold your king. This is what they wanted to hear, but... There was more to the prophecy, as I mentioned before. Behold your king, he comes lowly. Now this was a song, of course, but it was not the song they wanted to hear. They didn't want to hear they want to hear that part, lowly. It was not something they could bear even to hear. They wanted him to come as the mighty king of kings, treading out on his enemies in the wine press of the wrath of God, but instead it would be his life that would be pressed his blood that would become wine first at Gethsemane and then at Calvary this is what was in store they were thinking he was going to be you know crowned king and crush his enemies but the crowning of this king would not happen that way instead of marching to the seat of government to the Romans and throwing down his gauntlet and performing a miracle which humiliated them all and calling lightning down from heaven you know what he does he goes to the temple and when he goes to the temple they're spreading his coats along the way I bet they were thinking he's going to stand up in the midst of the temple the greatest rabbi that's ever come the king of glory and he's going to speak and he's going to tell I declare from the seat of the temple here that I am ruler of Israel, and I'm going to cast out the Romans. And he would call down fire from heaven to consume them all. But that's not what he did. Luke adds this, and starting in verse 36 of his account. They spread their clothes in the way. When he was coming high at the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice. They began to praise God with loud voices, for they had all seen the mighty works, saying, Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees, though, they were like, Wait a minute, what's going on? Stop these people. He answered and he said, I'll tell you what, that if these should hold their peace, the very rocks will cry out. And when he was come near, behold the city. What did he do? What did he do before he made it to the temple? He wept. This seems like such a strange thing for him to do. Once he weeping, he knows they think he's coming as the king. He's coming to tread down the enemies, and he knows they're going to be deeply offended about what is about actually to happen because he wasn't coming the way they thought. He was coming lowly. He wept because he knew he was not what they wanted. Church, God does not show up the way we want him to show up. He shows up his own way, after his own thoughts and for his own purposes, which are above ours and they are very contrary to them. Many times we are looking for him to come in a way that he is not coming. That might be what he's doing right now through what is happening in our world. Instead of coming to the seat and casting down those that rule and casting down their pride, he might be on his way to us. And he might be on his way in a lowly way, in a way that we wouldn't like, in a way that we aren't expecting, and we might miss it too. Jesus, when he wept, he said, For the day shall come upon thee, that your enemies shall cast a trench about thee. Wait a minute. I I thought you were going to crush your enemies. They're going to compass you on every side. They shall lay you even to the ground and your children with you. Was this the message they were thinking he was coming to declare? I don't think so. shall not even leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time. Of your visitation. This is not what they expected was coming next. He went into the temple and he began to cast out them that sold things there. Those deplorable people that took the opportunity of people's worship and took advantage of them by telling them their sacrifices weren't good enough. They had to buy things from them. They were making money hand over fist, declaring this is not an acceptable sacrifice. It, it reminds me of the people that are uh, debating over you know, who has the right to do this and who has the right to do that, and we need to let our government know what their place is. It reminds me that we may be missing our visitation because I really think that God has something to do in the church and in us, and I don't think it's time we go, what is wrong with them? I think we should be pointing the finger at us and saying, what's wrong? with us. He didn't go to the Romans. He went to the temple and he said, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Have we made the church something where we can come and debate about theology? Have we made the church some kind of a courtroom where we parse out judgments about the exact right way to do this and do that and say this and say that? Is that really what we are? Or are we... Are we a people of prayer and a house of prayer who love people and who uh, lay down our lives for one another and who did what Jesus is getting ready to do, but they couldn't stand it? Nobody wants that. Everybody wants a, a religion that that puts everybody else down and lifts them up. But Christ's coming isn't like that, and he's not going to save the world that way by lifting you up and putting you on a pedestal and making you important. He's going to do it by crushing you like he was crushed, and they hated every minute of it. And, folks, we don't like it either. Matthew continues, the blind and the lame came into the temple. Was this what they were thinking was coming in the temple? No, not the blind and the lame. No way. No, no, no. No, this is the time for the Pharisees to show up in their big robes, and this is the time for him to praise the beautiful system of worship at the synagogue that they had established. This will be time for that, right? No, Jesus comes, he overturns the tables, he's crying because they're not understanding what's going on, and the lame and the blind are coming in the temple. They weren't allowed. Do you know the lame and the blind weren't allowed in the temple? do Do you think that really pleased God? So what did he do? Jesus healed them. When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children in the temple crying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were displeased. This is not no 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 this is not how you do it. This is not dignified. I mean, no no no, you don't get excited when you worship God. You don't you don't wave your hands and raise your hands and cry out and cry and get on your knees. You don't do that in church. Oh no. You need to be dignified. You need to you need to oh stand up straight and make sure no one sees any emotion that you have. Really? They didn't like it. They didn't like that people were crying unto God and pouring out their hearts and, and saying, Jesus, oh, we don't like it. That's so undignified. And Jesus, they said, do you hear what these are saying? Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Hast thou perfected praise? You know, we go to Myanmar, and I really want them to be good Presbyterians. I really do. They're the worst. You know what they do? Bum, 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 bum. And they, you should see them. And and I didn't have the heart to tell them that they really, the better way to do this is not to do that. Like if you really were, re- if you were really mature in your faith and your Christianity, you really should do it more like we do it back at home. But no, they do. They, they get up and they shake their hands and they look like a bunch of undignified people. And I laugh and I'm like, I'm so thankful I'm in Myanmar. No curmudgeon can look and scowl at them and tell them that they're not doing it right. I love it. And, and I've brought some curmudgeons with me and they sit on the back row and they go, I don't know, maybe if this is really what we should do. And I love those curmudgeons. I love the curmudgeons in my church. Do you hear what they're saying? Jesus said, have you not read? You see, do you know what children do? Children don't think about every little thing they do. They just, they just offer it to God. But he left them, and he went out of the city, and he went back to Bethany that night, and he lodged there. Here's what Mark says about it. After Jesus and his disciples reached Jerusalem, he went into the temple. He began chasing everyone out who was selling or buying. He turned over the tables of the money changers and the benches that were there. Jesus would not let anyone carry things through the temple. He taught the people saying, the scripture says, my house shall be a place of prayer and worship for all nations. Now, you have to understand, this was certainly not what they were expecting. You're going to let Gentiles in here? You're going to let Gentiles come? And he said, oh, yeah, when when I came, you didn't really want me. But so you know what I did? I'm inviting the Gentiles in. I'm inviting the blinded. When I had a feast, you didn't come. The table was set. So I'm going to go into the highways and the hedges and I'm going to find the blind and the, the blind and the halt and the lame and I'm going to find Gentiles and I'm going to bring them in that my house might be full not full of people like you who don't want me but people who do people who know they need me the chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses heard what Jesus said and they started looking for a way to kill him they didn't like his approach so much They wanted to kill him. They were afraid of him because the crowds were completely amazed, of course, by his teaching. The whole event was meant as an object lesson, and I'm sure that we can see through the message, but I want to point out these things, these two things. He came as a king, but he came lowly. You know, we are what we are. We are God's elect. We are God's people. We are his chosen people. We're every bit of that. We are the sons of the king. But should the son of the king come with any more honor than the king himself? Jesus came lowly, riding on a donkey. He came despised, rejected of men. He came not received by the people he had prepared the feast for. He comes to us this way. It's no metaphor. We'd like it to be different, easier. We'd like all of our enemies, including our own flesh, to melt away. We would like him to straighten up the whole messed up world, but instead he comes to our hearts and he overturns the tables there and he calls us exactly what we are and it angers us. It angers our flesh and we rebel against him. He comes as king, but he comes lowly and we don't like it. It offends us as it offended them that day. He came lowly that day from the Mount of Olives, but when he comes again from there, he will not come lowly. Until then, we are to come lowly to others. He came from Jericho to Jerusalem, and so must we. We need to come from this humble place, this place in the desert, this place that, doesn't look like such a wonderful place. And in time, in God's good time, yes, we will ascend to the mount of the Lord. We are going to find that judgment begins at the house of God. If we could learn to fear the Lord through this, to hold on loosely to the blessings he rains down upon us, to not forget him because he has given us houses to live in that we didn't build, good jobs and plenty of money to do pretty much whatever we want, then folks he need not come in judgment upon us if you're taking your money and you're hoarding it in a little pile somewhere thinking that money will bring you security i'll tell you right now it won't if you think that's going to be the thing to provide for your needs when everything falls apart when you know the dollars worth nothing or the you know the world collapses or whatever happens if you think you're going to save yourself in you know your own We might be looking for the world to repent, thinking this will teach them. All the while, the megaphone is echoing for us, and we're not even listening. People of God, what can we learn from this pandemic, Palm Sunday? What can we let go of? What can we offer to God? How can we follow Jesus to the cross and take up our own? How can we love those around us? How can we find peace in the midst of our storm-tossed life, the anchor, the rock, to build our faith upon people of god don't miss this time like they miss the coming of christ and be forced to repent in sorrow when they finally figure out what's going on when we finally figure out what's going on i have no doubt that god is correcting the church loving her washing her through this event and i pray that she comes out whiter than snow fit for the marriage supper of the lamb People of God, Foundation Church, behold, here comes our King. Here comes your King. Accept Him for what He is and look to Him to heal this world. Let us be like blind Bartimaeus and cast off our beggar's coat and receive our sight today and receive our King today as He comes lowly. Lowly. Let us pray. Oh God, may we learn from this today as we As we wave our palm branches, as we wave them before you, recognizing you as our king. We pray, Lord God, that we would see how you're speaking to us, not looking for how you're speaking to others. May we find what we need to forsake and to let go and whether it be our own uh, ideas of what is or what is not right or May we trust you, Lord. May we follow your lead in this time. May we just let those trappings that we have formed around our lives that are not pleasing to you, that restrain us from worshiping you with our whole hearts, Lord. May they fall by the wayside today. May those tables be overturned in us. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm so used to when I'm preaching, reaching up and closing my laptop, I almost did it again. (laughs) And then you wouldn't have been able to see me. You might see that I have these branches held in my hand today. If you have them in your house, I'd like you to get them in your hand. I guess we're not taking communion. We could do this. Uh, You see, the children of Israel celebrated the Feast of Booths every year. And the Feast of Booths was to remind them that there was a time when they didn't live in such nice places. And for a week, you may not know about this, you can read about it, but for a week they would build these little makeshift tents, houses, they would take scrap wood, and they would move out of their nice house. Tim, could you imagine doing this? Build a little, you know, take a few skids and and twigs from the yard and build a little house and live out in that little house for a week. Could you imagine that? What they did is they were remembering, Luke, I can see you on my screen. They were remembering that they didn't always have such nice places to live, that they were wandering out in the middle of the wilderness. And what they remembered that time is that God provided for them even then. They didn't have fields that they planted. They didn't have uh, crops that they were tending, but yet God took care of them. They, they didn't have uh, textile mills to make their clothes. God made their shoes not wear out in their clothes, and and he provided for them. He He covered them with a pillar uh, of a cloud uh, by day and, uh, and warmed them with fire by night. He fed them with manna from heaven. And so they remembered that by living in these little booths. And during that time of year, at the very end of it, they would go out and they would cut um three different kinds of, uh, vegetation. And, uh, one of them was a palm. Another one of them, I built be- we You can look it up. I don't have it right here in front of me, but the other one is myrtle, I believe. And, and, um, there's a, there's a, there's a third one, but so I, I got, I got, a, a pear and I got, uh, a, a forsythia and I got a pine and, And I'm not trying to make these represent these things, but they are the three different things. And what they would do on the last day is they would wave these before the Lord. Everybody wave your palms before the Lord. They would wave them. And and each one of these things represented that the palm represented the royalty as Matt, was we were talking about yesterday and the, the different things represented different parts of the loveliness of God. And they, when they wave this on the final day of the feast, you know what they were saying? Our Messiah is coming. Our Messiah is coming. One day he's coming, and that's why when he was coming into Jerusalem, they took the palms, okay, and they laid them down. They were saying, aha, aha, the day of our waving the palms is over, and we're laying them down now at his feet, and they laid them down in the way as they threw their coats. So let's just wave them. Come on. Wave our palms. Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Lord. Praise Him. God is worthy of our praise. Our King has come. Let Him come to us today and be the ruler of our hearts. Praise God. I know this may sound silly to you, and if we were doing it in our church, I'm sure somebody would pull me aside and lecture me at the the nature of maybe this, how this might not be appropriate. Well, I'm just so glad you're at your house and not at mine today because I'm waving the palms. I'm waving the palms. I'm waving the palms. And praise God. Yeah, no, I'm not going to get a banner and run around the church like some silly charismatic, but I kind of feel like it right now. So praise God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right, people of God, that's all I got for you uh, in the way of sermon and message. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for... Gathering your people today in this blessed time, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us and continue. I know I've already prayed after my sermon, but I just feel like praying again. I just so much want us to not lose this time and miss it for what it is, that you're coming, that we would not be like Jerusalem and miss this visitation. Lord, the coronavirus is a visitation from you, Lord. You are the one that sends the plagues. You are the one that sends these things, God. The the devil can't do that kind of stuff. Lord, we know that you have sent it to teach us, to chastise us, to to shape us in ways, O God. May we not miss your visitation, O God. In Jesus' name, we pray.